church. What's up, y'all? All right. So we started a few weeks ago our current series called Revive Us. What's up, Abby? All right. Um, and, uh, and in this series, we have been focusing on what does it look like to seek and to ask God for a reviving touch? What does it look like for him to, for us to experience him and to allow his life to flow through us. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the spirit of God is, is there in the midst of our heart of desperation. So when we cry out to God, the spirit of God meets us as our counselor, as the breath of life. Last week, we focused on a slightly different focus, which is the fear of the Lord. Because without the right understanding of who the father is and how we approach him, we miss out on where our desperate need of him meets his wisdom. And when we naturally go about it on our own terms, it, we start with, the, with our circumstances and what's going on in our context instead of first going before him and seeing what he has for us. So I... Uh, we gave out that free book. It was a book by Michael Reeves. Um, hopefully you guys have had a chance to open it up. Now, tonight's message is rooted in what God has taught me through another book. Uh, it's a book I discovered a, um, over the last couple of years. It's a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Maybe some of you guys have read it. If the rest of you haven't, don't worry, you're gonna get a chance because over the last year, this has been, for me, the most formative book of any book I've read over the last year and probably one of the most formative books of any book I've ever read in my life. And I'm not the only one. In fact, there was this family uh, who apparently has a lot of money to do things like this, who uh, was deeply touched by this book. And so they went ahead and gave it away to churches, um, like hundreds of copies to each church if they wanted them uh, across the country. And so they just literally had to do an entire printing of books that they gave away for free. Um, so at the end of the evening, uh, we have uh, a copy for each of this book um, and and what I have tonight is just some of the insights of what I gained from it, and, but mostly what I found in the scriptures because of it. And see, so what I would love for us to do with this book is if you so choose to pick up a copy and read it, is that you wouldn't rush through it. I, I don't know, some of you maybe like are dabblers with books and you like start a book and then it takes you like a year and a half to read the first four chapters, you know? Or some of you just zoom through books. Or if you're like me, it depends on the book and you're one of those two, depending on the book. This is a book to savor because you could easily read it all the way through, but the chapters are written in such a form that they're about five to 10 minutes of reading a day. So what I would encourage you to do is it's about 40 chapters or so. Take your time through it. Now, what I want you to do right now is to think about what it felt like the last time you felt spiritually and emotionally thirsty. Think about that moment. Maybe it's right now. When you sensed your desperate need for the reviving touch of God, or maybe you are in such a space that you don't even know if you want to experience that because you have so many questions and doubts. Maybe that's how you're feeling right now. Maybe you just call that like Wednesday afternoon. Like that's the normal rhythm of your week. And I know that for, for me, the last few years have felt very wearying. And so when I was praying to God for this week, like what's the word that you have for our church this week, the word worn came to my mind because that's how I felt on Monday. And throughout this week, I've been continually worn. Just one difficulty after the next. Do you know what that's like? 
when you're sitting and you are just experiencing one difficulty after the next. Now, I definitely don't want to bring anyone down emotionally with, but tonight's message is actually meant to be a gift for those of you here tonight who are frustrated, worn, weary, discouraged, disenchanted, dry, empty, suffering, and hurting. If that's you, this message is for you. And if you're in an awesome place, put this message in your back pocket. Maybe you podcast it another time next time you're struggling. But this is a message meant for those of us who are worn. See, if you are in that space here tonight, what's vitally important that you under, understand and believe is simply this. The heart of Jesus is for you. Were you hoping for something a little more revolutionary than that, right? Tonight, my hope is that you and I would be utterly convinced of that reality that we might intellectually believe, but we allow it to transform our hearts and our minds from the core of who Jesus' being is to the core of our being. Because any other option, three steps to feeling better would just be a Band-Aid solution. It would be like if you were out on a hike and you you kind of like misjudged how much water you should be drinking to appropriately space it out along the hike. And you're about three quarters of the way done, but there's like one sip left in your water bottle. Anybody ever do that? That's me every time I go hiking. Never do the right math. And so then you take that last drink, knowing that's it. And it tastes good for like half a second, but I'm pretty sure it got evaporated out of my mouth as I drank it, right? You're still thirsty. So tonight what we're gonna discover is the one who's living water that promises to have you never thirst again. And if you're sitting here tonight like me, you're like, prove it. I don't know about that. I've read that story before, but really? So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. At this point in the story of Jesus' life and ministry, things are not peaceful. One of the most significant realities is that there was a large section of the population that was sympathetic to Jesus and his teachings, but they were greatly disturbed because another famous teacher, a guy named John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, is imprisoned. And he is imprisoned because like Jesus, he went about proclaiming the gospel, but he also spoke out against the moral corruption of the king of Israel. And that has now put him in chains in Jerusalem. Have you ever been in a place where, where, where you thought things would go swing, swimmingly, but now all of a sudden you look around at your life wondering where you took the wrong turn? See, that was John and his disciples in this moment. So he sends word through his disciples. He says, he says, go talk to Jesus and ask him this question. Ask him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Isn't that a fascinating question that John the Baptist would ask that? I mean, think about it. John the Baptist is like faith-filled. He literally baptized Jesus. When he was a baby in the womb, the scriptures record that he jumped in excitement because his mom's belly was in proximity to Jesus's mom's belly. Like, like that's John from the womb. He is ecstatic. He is faith-filled. 
Isn't that crazy? So, so if you had an image of somebody who demonstrates radical faith, it's John. But now he's asking this question. Are you the one? Are you the one or should we be looking for another? And it makes sense. Because John was supposed to clear the way so that the Messiah could come. And if Jesus really is the Messiah, then why hasn't he revealed himself? Why hasn't he overthrown the Roman oppressors? Why hasn't he done all the things that we thought he was going to do? And here's John imprisoned. And his disciples, the disciples of John are like, if you're the Messiah and that's your cousin who is also supposed to kind of be the trailblazer for you, should, did we miss something? Like what, where did this go wrong? They wanted victory. But Jesus responds by speaking to weary souls. Jesus tells them to bring back word to John. He says, the lame are being given the ability to walk the blind can see and the gospel is being preached to the poor. Go, the movement has begun, tell him. And then he continues on and he begins to call out spaces of darkness in the world around him. And he doesn't mince any words, read it for yourself, but he begins to offer hope that yes, you desire to see justice come about in this world, it's gonna happen. It's just not today. See, Jesus is still speaking to weary souls. And that's where we're at tonight in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, um, a few years ago, Ali and I got to go to a, to a TED Talk event, a TEDx TED Talk event. And one of the guys that was, um, was doing a TED Talk was a... Um, uh, he was a professor at the junior college that I first started at way back in the day. And he is a poetry teacher. So he's literally a poet. But his other thing that he does on the side is he's a ninja warrior. Like he's been on American Ninja Warrior. It's really cool. Go watch the TED Talk. It was really fun to listen to. Um, so he is a poet ninja warrior. So he does two things really well. He writes poetry and he ninjas. Like that's pretty cool, right? And when he was talking and like, I think my memory, I don't know if it's accurate, but like he did flips on the stage while reciting poetry. Like it was really crazy. And I remember listening to him going, this guy has mastered poetry and ninjaing. Like, I don't know how he would stack up against like the master ninjas of old, but like to me, pretty impressive. And, and, and see, I stand up here on a, on a near weekly basis. And on most weeks, when I look at the text that I'm supposed to preach, I don't feel like an expert. I feel desperate. I feel like if anybody needs this message, it's me. And it's hard for me to imagine that any of you need this anywhere near as much as I do. And I'm really looking forward to the week when I, it's on something that I have mastered. Tonight's not that week. I need this. 
Jesus is still speaking to weary souls. Can you close your eyes for a minute? I'm gonna ask you to do this a few times tonight. I want you to close your eyes and take deep breaths as I, as I read this passage over you. So just breathe in and breathe out. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is preaching to weary souls. See, this was a crowd that believed, but through the school of hard knocks, they are processing their exhaustion, their grief. They're longing to see better days ahead. All who labor and are heavy laden, not some, all who are labor and are heavy laden. How will he give them rest? Close your eyes again and breathe. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You can open your eyes. The concept of yoke is not talking about egg yolks. You might have heard this description before, but the the purpose of a yoke in an agrarian society made a lot of sense in their mental imaginations. So um, the idea of a yoke, if you've ever seen cattle or oxen that kind of plow a field together, there's a crossbar and a beam that comes off of it. That's a yoke. It is meant to be put on by the farmer to give guidance and direction, focused intention in the way that they should go. And see, in, with rabbis like Jesus, their teachings, their way of doing life, of thinking about life, their ethics, their worldview was all wrapped up into one word, yoke. So when Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, it makes sense. Put my teachings, my ethic, my worldview, which he later sums up. Love the Lord your God with everything in you and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets is fulfilled in these words. Take that yoke and put it on you. Learn from me. See, a yoke for cattle is a directing force. And that's what we need. See, no matter how much we fight it, we each have a yoke on us. Because we might hear that concept and go, well, I'm, I'm an independent thinker and I want to do it my way. And like, for sure, That's the default of like every human's heart. But the reality is that all of us have a yoke on us at all times. The question is, which one? See, we have the yoke of of the teachings of the culture that we find ourselves in. We find it on both the right and the left of the political spectrum. We have the yoke of our family, the values, the value systems that we are taught. Those are teachings, those are worldview shaping, right? We have it in expectations from society or from religious upbringings and more. Yoke. In a lot of ways, like the entire Disney traditions through operations training process is a yoke, right? It's forming you. It's desiring to guide you in a way to hopefully be a good cast member. Even in our culture though, where we live in a pluralistic, individualistic culture, 
we still have a yoke. See, even the concept of modern individualism is itself a yoke. The idea that I'm the hero of my story, I get to call the shots for myself. We learned that from somewhere and we put it on. But Jesus says, but I have a yoke. And if you are weary, if you are heavy laden, if you realize your need, there is a better yoke. It's mine. Put my yoke on you and learn from me. See, as we put that yoke on, we allow his teachings to transform our hearts and our minds, our imaginations and our worldview. We begin to abide in him as we draw near to him. We experience his life flowing through us. But here's, here's the difficulty for me. And I'm imagining the same for you. The cost is high. There's no sugarcoating it. The cost is putting aside what you think is best or even good and putting our faith in the one who guides us. That's scary. So how do we know that he is trustworthy? Well, he gives us that answer next. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Gentle and lowly in heart. See, in the scriptures, we discover much about Jesus. We discover his passions, his hopes, his character, his resolve, his bravery, integrity, his desire for justice and compassion. We, all these different realities, we discover that he is both fully God and fully human. But in this moment, Jesus gives us a window into his own heart. See, this window was a gift to the Jewish audience who stood in front of him 2,000 years ago for those who were grieving the imprisonment of John, those who thought that the Messiah should have already overthrown the Roman oppressors, those who were disenchanted, those who were hurting, those who were battle weary. And if you can relate with that audience, then this is the same gift that Jesus is offering you. All you who labor and are heavy laden, he is gentle and lowly in heart. So let's work out that statement from the back. Heart. See, in the Jewish imagination, the heart was not a part of who a person is. It's the core of who a person is. It is their absolute center. So have you ever seen Russian nesting dolls before? This is a really cute one, right? Look at the bear. It's so cute. Um, I got this for Abby this week so that I could use it for this. So she thinks it's for her. It's for you guys. Um, So imagine though, that if instead of these animals, these represented various character traits of Jesus. Now it doesn't mean that we shed off these, but but what I wanna show you, and it doesn't mean that like I go, oh, he's a bear of bravery or oh, a fox of cunning. Like I'm not doing that. But with each one, these are various character traits, his justice, his integrity, his love, his kindness, his compassion, right? And so as we keep going down and down and down into a Russian nesting doll, we get towards the center. And at the very center is not an otter with Jesus, although that is cute, so cute. We discover his heart, his center. And Jesus in this passage tells us his center. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. At my core, this is what you will discover. He is gentle and lowly. And so all those other things that we discover about Jesus are wonderful and true and beautiful and glorious, but they emanate 
from a heart, from a center, from a core of the son of God that is gentle and lowly. Now, gentle and lowly. We have to realize that this idea of his core, that everything emanates from there. Gentle and lowly. Close your eyes one more time. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You can open your eyes. Do you desire to find rest for your souls? Me too. And Jesus says that he is gentle and lowly. So gentle, that word gentle. It's, um, the, the Greek word that's used here is used only three other times in the entire New Testament. Um, Jesus uses it in the Sermon on the Mount. It's translated as meek. So the meek will inherit the earth. So the gentle will inherit the earth. It's also used another time in the gospels when it's talking about Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey. It says that, it says that Jesus would come into Jerusalem humbly riding on a donkey or gently riding on a donkey. And then the third time in first Peter, Peter's encouragement to husband and wives, he tells, um, he is specifically speaking to wives saying, encouraging them to embrace the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So this idea of gentleness That's Jesus. Jesus is gentle. Do you believe it? Does that feel too good to be true? Or do you want Jesus to be like some epic warrior? Now, for sure, Jesus cares about justice. Read the book of Revelation. It's right there. You can see what he does. But at his center, even in that moment, at his core, he is gentle. He's not looking licking his chops, waiting to devour and destroy people. He is not looking for quick reactions or acting out of harshness. He is gentle. In in Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland writes it this way, the posture most natural to Jesus is not a pointed finger. It's open arms. Jesus is gentle and he's lowly. Now, here's what's interesting about lowly. Usually this Greek word is translated in the word humble, but not humble the virtue, like to have humility, but, the, but humble to be humbled. So naturally, when you think of the word humbled, you think of when somebody is brought down low. That's the idea here. Except nobody brought Jesus low. Jesus brought himself low. In the book of Philippians, what does it say? It says that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He lowered himself. And see what Jesus is getting at when he is talking about himself here is that he is accessible. He has brought himself down to our human reality. Jesus came down to us. Did any of you love getting called into the principal's office when you were younger? No, right? Even, I mean, I'm imagining in this room, at least a few of you were the good kids in class, right? I was kind of not really. Um, and, but even if you're the good kid and you get called in the principal's office and you know you're not even in trouble, there's still a little bit of like your heart skips a beat, right? It's scary. There's a sense of dread there. And some of you are afraid to come to Jesus because of that same dread. 
See, grace only sticks to our imperfections. And your burden is what qualifies you to come to Jesus in the first place. But here's the truth. He doesn't just call you to his office. He came into our story. He sent his spirit to draw us to himself. He came in your direction when you were off in a far distant land. Would you close your eyes and breathe in this passage again? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You can open your eyes. There's something important that we can't miss here though. It's who he's talking to. He's not talking to everybody. He is talking to all who labor and are heavy laden. See, you can choose to stand apart from him. You can refuse his yoke. You can refuse to come to him when you are heavy laden. You can, you can put on a mask with him or with your community around you. You can pretend. That is always an option. You're adults. But you see, the heart of Jesus is for sufferers and sinners. That's just straight up gospel. <laughs> like read the gospels. Jesus says to the Pharisees, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for the sick. Jesus came for sufferers and sinners. And if that's where you find yourself, if that's what you realize about yourself, your deep and abiding, consistent need of him, it doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for five minutes or 50 years. Those who realize that they are desperate for a drink of water that can truly quench their thirst. And if that's the case for you, then the heart of Jesus is for you. We get this image in the book of John chapter four, when, this, when a, a woman who is in the midst of her brokenness is approached by Jesus. See, she doesn't go out of her way to Jesus. Jesus lowers himself to her frame. I'm gonna read this out of the voice um, dynamic paraphrase. And so with that in mind, uh, your Bibles are gonna be a little different than what I'm about to read right now. So what I would encourage you to do is again, close your eyes and breathe deep and just sit in this story. Put yourself in these frames. In a small Samaritan town known as Sakar, Jesus' entourage stopped to rest at the historic well that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. It was about noon when Jesus found a spot to sit close to the well while the disciples ventured off to find provisions. Now from his vantage, he watched as a Samaritan woman approached to draw some water. Unexpectedly, he spoke to her. He said, would you draw water and give me a drink? Her response I can't believe that you, a Jew, would associate with me, a Samaritan woman, much less ask me to give you a drink. Jews, you see, have no dealings with Samaritans. Also, a man never approaches a woman like this in public. Jesus is breaking accepted social barriers with this confrontation. So Jesus says, you don't know the gift of God or who is asking you for a drink of this water from Jacob's well. Because if you did, you would have asked for something far greater and he would have given you the living water. 
The woman says, sir, you sit by this deep well, a thirsty man without a bucket in sight. Where does this living water come from? Are you claiming superiority to our father, Jacob, who labored long and hard to dig and maintain this well so that he could share clean water with his son, sons, grandchildren, and cattle? And Jesus says, drink this water and your thirst is quenched only for a moment. You must return to this well again and again. I offer water that will become a wellspring within you that gives life throughout eternity. You will never be thirsty again. She responds, please, sir, give me some of this water so I'll never be thirsty and never again have to make the trip to this well. Jesus says, bring your husband to me. I don't have a husband. Technically, you're telling the truth, but you've had five husbands and are currently living with the man that you are not married to. She responds, sir, it is obvious to me that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped here on this mountain, but your your people say that Jerusalem is, is the only place for all to worship. Which is it? Woman, I tell you that neither is so. Believe this, a new day is coming. In fact, it's already here when the importance will not be placed on the time and place of worship, but on the truthful hearts of worshipers. You worship what you don't know while we Jews worship what we do. For God's salvation comes coming through the Jews. But the Father is spirit and he is seeking followers whose worship is sourced in truth and deeply spiritual as well. Regardless of whether you are in Jerusalem or on this mountain, if you do not seek the Father, then you do not worship. The woman says, these mysteries will be made clear by the one who is promised, right? The anointed one, Messiah. The anointed is speaking to you. I am the one you have been looking for. The disciples returned to him and gathered around him in amazement that he would openly break their customs by speaking to this woman. But none of them would ask him what he was looking for or why he was speaking with her. The woman went back to the town though, leaving her water part behind. She stopped men and women on the streets and told them what had happened. I met a stranger who knew everything about me. Come and see for yourselves. Can he be the anointed one? Imagine if this woman just kept it shallow. Imagine if she refused to acknowledge her need. Imagine if all she looked for was a debate. But see, she was too desperate. She was too desperate. She wasn't looking for a debate. The reality is she wasn't even looking for Jesus. Jesus came to her. She was thirsty and assumed her life would never offer a true drip of water to quench her thirst. Yet the living water found her. Was Jesus just being a really good visual teacher? I mean, he used this moment to point to this ancient word. But what our minds were meant to be captivated by was that this would actually hyperlink us back to the book of Isaiah chapter 55, verses one through three. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. 
eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich foods. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Come, come, all who thirst, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and drink deeply. See, we think that we have something to offer to Jesus. At least I do in my arrogance. You can't, neither can I. We are simply just called to come and drink. I imagine you sometimes spend so much, oftentimes spend so much time and worry and attention trying to figure out life on our own terms, trying to muscle our way through it, trying to earn, trying to save ourselves, trying to figure it out on our own. And we don't realize that we are the hiker trying to quench our thirst with a sip of water. Or worse yet, we're over here chugging Coke or iced tea, something that dehydrates our spiritual bodies. They taste good because it's hot, but they only dehydrate us further. We try to quench our thirst with people, with things, with dreams, with careers, and everything else in between. We are worn, working for that which cannot satisfy, trying to buy what doesn't last. So here's my question for you. What is the most true yearning of your heart? I know I'm keeping it light right now, right? What's the most true yearning of your heart? I'd be surprised if you could answer that quickly. Maybe write down that question and pray about it later. What is the most true yearning of your heart? What do you long to experience? Because here's the thing. If you are worn, exhausted, heavy laden, disenchanted, filled with doubt or fear or anxiety, if you are burdened, come, come, Come and buy without money, drink without cost. Come to Jesus. The heart of Jesus is for you. Come. If you've been, if you've been trying to quench your thirst on that which doesn't satisfy, come. Come. Come to Jesus. May I read this passage over you one more time? Eyes closed and deep breaths. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The heart of Jesus is for those who realize and express their deep need for him. If you know that you are broken in need, if you are a sufferer or a sinner, the heart of Jesus is for you. And the cost is putting on his yoke. The cost is acknowledging and truly believing that I am nothing, but he is everything. So I don't have to be anything. But when we put on his yoke, when we learn from him, when we put our faith and our trust in the one who is gentle and lowly in heart, we re realize that we are walking with the one who has the only path to true healing, the only balm for the wounds that will last, the only water for your thirsty soul. 
comes and he has come. And we experience his life. We experience that reviving touch as we put his yoke on us, as we draw near to him. This is what Jesus secured on the cross, the path back home. He died on the cross so that you and I could draw near to himself. This is him lowering himself to bring us up with him. He paid the debt of our death. And then he rose to life and gave us the ability to live again with him. And my greatest desire is that you, that I would both fully and truly embrace the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. Wherever you are tonight, whatever your experience is that you're bringing in, know this, he is for you. And I trust that he is for you because I need to trust that he is for me. And if he's for me, broken, worn out me, then he is for you as well. He has come to restore you. He has come to give you living water. And so we're gonna enter into the next part of our time together worshiping. And for that, I'm gonna ask the band to come on up. And what I wanna do is we wanna give you the space to simply come, come to the feet of Jesus. And so I don't know the distractions that are going in your mind. I don't know if you're able to listen to five words I said because there's so much happening. But wherever you are tonight, come. Come to him. So our hope tonight with the rest of our gathering is to lead you in a space to the feet of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, how crazy is it that you would send Jesus into our reality? That you would allow your son to become lowly so that we could be brought high. Lord, I confess, I don't feel, I don't feel, all the things I want to feel right now. So Lord, would you help me to believe in my disbelief? Would you help me to trust when it's waning? And I know I'm not the only one here that would express that sentiment. Lord, would you draw us near to yourself? Would you help us to receive your reviving touch? Would you help us to experience you? Would you help us to come to the one who is truly living water? Would you help us to come and drink deeply? It's in Jesus' name we pray.